1: to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik.
2: And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing, and we begin with, well, what else? What's happening with Dominic Cummings, or isn't happening, really? But there has been a development within the last couple of hours. The resignation of a junior minister, Douglas Ross. Now, in his statement, the Under Secretary of State for Scotland said, Dominic Cummings' views on lockdown guidance are not shared by the majority of people. The Prime Minister himself, of course, facing another day of pressure, including resignations, to take action regarding his most senior advisor, Dominic Cummings. Yesterday, Mr Cummings held a pretty unusual press conference at Downing Street in which he refused to apologise despite allegations that he broke the government's lockdown rules when he travelled 250 miles to Durham for childcare support.
3: I don't regret what I did. As I said, I think um, reasonable people may well disagree about how I thought about what to do in, 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 the, in, the, in these circumstances. But I think that what I did was actually reasonable in these, in these circumstances.
1: And there's certainly no lack of uproar from the opposition. The SNP's Westminster leader, Ian Blackford, says questions still remain. He drove to Barnard Castle when he wasn't
4: even sure if his eyesight was sufficient to allow him to drive. Um, certainly driving a distance like that, which is way out with the rules. Issues about him going back into 10 Downing Street
1: when he thought his wife might have COVID-19. And then the other story we're looking at today is lockdown easing continuing in England, at least. Outdoor markets and car showrooms are going to be able to reopen from the 1st of June. That's if they can meet the coronavirus guidelines to protect shoppers and workers. So there are certain caveats. And then looking ahead to June the 15th, the government says other non-essential stores like clothes shops, bookshops, electronic shops, they can reopen if the spread of the virus is under control. So a certain level of caveat attached to that.
2: Well, I'm very pleased to say that joining us now is Chris Matheson, who's Labour MP for the city of Chester. Welcome to the programme, Chris. Thanks for being with us. I mean, I suppose we should just ask you the uh, the question of the hour, I suppose. Do you think Dominic Cummings' position now is tenable? Does he have to resign? Has he written it out? No, he, he,
4: he's really skating on thin ice, I'm afraid. And unfortunately, the... Uh, the news conference that he gave yesterday actually left more questions uh, than answers. He's refused even to show any kind of contrition. Um, but there are parts of the story that simply don't add up. This whole business about visiting Barnard Castle to test whether his eyesight was good enough to drive, uh, frankly, it, it just doesn't hold water. And the longer this goes on, the more questions w- will be asked. And the, more, uh, the, the fewer answers that we're getting, I'm afraid, the, the more difficult will be his position. We've seen, as you say, that um, Douglas Ross has uh, tendered his resignation as a government minister today because he can't justify um, the government's position to his his constituents. And I have to tell you, my, my email inbox is overwhelmingly people who are... Uh, or constituents who wouldn't normally write to me, who are completely baffled um, by um, Mr Cummings' mm. continuing uh, tenure of his job.
1: Yeah, I know you're not the only one. What, what about the Downing Street position then? What does Number 10 do to make this all go away, because the risk, of course, is that it undermines the lockdown rules for everybody else.
4: It does. I mean, that's that is the main uh, the main criticism now that as they're trying to plan uh, uh, an uh, an elegant and uh, e- eased way back into um, normal life, and I've use that phrase, that people are going to say, "Well, look, hang on, if it doesn't apply to the Downing Street advisors and the most senior people in Downing Street, why should it apply to me?" And all of a sudden, the discipline that the British people have shown. Over many weeks and months, uh, the uh, discomfort in many ways um, that, that will will we'll be for nothing, and people will really resent that. I think for the, for the rest of the government, there is one issue here that um, needs answering, which is why is Boris Johnson so desperate to keep hold of Dominic Cummings? Um, what is it that Dominic Cummings offers that is is uh, so important to to the Prime Minister? And it does make the Prime Minister's position look rather weak. Uh, that he, in the face of this huge uh, public pressure and pressure as well from his own uh, backbench MPs that he's desperate to keep hold of, uh, of Dominic Cummings and does rather beg the question why.
2: Well, I mean, let me put something to you, Chris, which, which someone, someone put to me. Uh, said, well, hang on a second. Dominic Cummings is not an elected politician. I mean, if an elected politician breaks the rules, we're all reasonably sure that he then has to take, he or she has to take responsibility for that. But Dominic Cummings is actually a salaried member of staff. Uh, He says that he doesn't think he's broken regulations. It's not been proven that he has. So in a way, why should he resign?
4: Well, in that case, uh, the person that um, is the elected politician has to resign. And the next person in line there would be the prime minister. So uh, that would be a fairly a fairly tricky situation. Are you it's, calling it's, for it's, the prime minister's but,
2: resignation over
4: this? Uh, no, uh, well, well, I mean, obviously, I don't want to be prime minister, but that's because I'm a Labour MP and, and he's Conservative prime minister. But no, 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 we're not there yet. But what you're suggesting is that if it's, if the uh, if it's the politicians that have to take the responsibility, um, then the next person in line would be the prime minister. And uh, you, you asked a question about why, why Dominic Cummings should resign, well, because he's one of the people who um, who made these rules, and he's asked us. Um, he, he, he has uh, made the rules and has asked us to follow them. So, for example, when the chief medical officer in Scotland was found to have broken the, uh, the regulations, he was called upon to resign and did so. There was a member of the scientific um, advisory group um, uh, who was caught breaking the lockdown, and he had to resign as well. They were elected politicians, but they were in a position of authority. They were in a position to, uh, to make the rules and implement them, and therefore, when they were found to have broken them, they had to do the decent thing. Apparently, that doesn't apply to Dominic Cummings.
2: All right,
1: well, let's talk about the rules. I mentioned a moment ago there are plans now to open uh, car showrooms and the sort on the 1st of June and then all non essential shops on the 15th, if all goes well. Do you think that timing is right? Is it about time that we start opening these
4: shops again? Well, the numbers of uh, the deaths are fortunately and thankfully reducing. And obviously, what we have to um, avoid is uh, charging back in and causing. A second, a, a second spike and a second wave that we can't cope with. Um, so it's right that we start to ease our way back in slowly. I think many people are ready to start going back to work now. And of course, for many people in very difficult financial positions, um, companies and individuals, who need to start getting back to work as long as it is safe. I'd like to make sure that nobody who is in a uh, protected, or particularly a shielded group, those people with underlying health problems, are forced to come back to work, and there is support given to them and their employers to make sure that those people who we need to look after continue to be looked after. So that's something I'll be looking for uh, when we see the detail of these regulations.
2: You're in an interesting position where you are Chris, because you're um, very close to the Welsh border. Uh, It is a nation now which has these parts that operate in different ways. We know the Welsh as well as the Scottish and Northern Irish administrations are taking a different view. Does that rather complicate things now? Because I guess uh, if what happens in June does happen, uh, there's a good chance that people will be able to shop in England but not in Wales and popping across the border, I suppose.
4: You're, You're absolutely correct. Boundary Lane in my constituency is named for a very good reason. Half of it is in England, in my constituency, and half of it, the other side of the road, is in Wales, um, in the in the neighbouring uh, Welsh constituency. And uh, many of my constituents will work in Chester, some of the big aerospace and automotive plants just over the border, for example. Uh, and there will be people who will work, live in Wales, but work in some of the, for example, financial services businesses, that are based um, in Chester, and we do have this anomaly um, in my area and all, all the way along the border where there are different rules applying at different times to different people. Obviously, common sense has to apply, um, but I think that also, for example, the Welsh Government, has said the people living on my side of the border, the English side of the border, don't, please don't travel into Wales um, for, for leisure, even though your rules on that side of the border have been relaxed. We haven't here, please don't come here for leisure. So there has to be a certain element of common sense, but it has
1: been difficult. Do you get the sense, speaking of common sense, that lockdown has effectively ended? I mean, I look out the window and there are people walking, there are people cycling, there are people driving. You go to the shops and and, and they're bustling. If I didn't know any better, I wouldn't assume there was a lockdown going on at all. And I feel like that's only going to get worse when the sun comes out and the parks start to fill up.
4: Well, that has been happening. Um, we've seen the news uh, coverage of... of uh, busy parks of uh, beaches down on the south coast that are full of people um, and uh, there has been a sense of some people wanting to uh, get away, get out get out of the house and uh, I think people are perhaps taking it, uh, some, some people are taking a decision to ease out of the lockdown in their own way and at their own time I have to tell you as well there's an awful lot of people who are maintaining uh, the lockdown and are maintaining so, um, uh, social distancing and it do- it is difficult, it doesn't feel right, we are a social um, animal uh, and, and we do like to be out with our friends. I can tell you now I, I'd love to go down the pub with my mates and have a couple of pints um, um, but most people are sticking to it um, I'm sure we are easing out a little bit um, but it's still a lot less than it would be if, if we were under if we were going use the phrase normal circumstances.
2: Well Chris what do you feel you could do? You said you can't go down opposite the pub there isn't a pub at the moment I'm sure um, but do you feel able to, to travel outside and around more easily than you did say a week or two ago?
4: No, I'm still trying to uh, stick to the rules. I'm, I'm fortunate that I can uh, sit in front of a computer and uh, do uh, work from home there, I speak to my, my my staff on the phone, uh, I can do uh, uh, interviews such as this on the telephone. There are other people who will need to go out and work, um, whether they're in key worker jobs or their jobs that are being phased back in, but um, I still feel an obligation to stay in and only go out uh, if I have to, for example, to go out to the shops. Um, and it is frustrating, but... The alternative was worse, and the alternative is that we go back into a spike uh, and that people start dying in huge numbers again. We have to avoid that.
1: There is the feeling, though, that MPs are going to get called back to Westminster. If they do soon, would would you go?
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, I've told my whip that I'm expected to be down next week, and um, the, um, the virtual parliament, the hybrid parliament, where you can either be there in person or, in person, or you can be present on, on video conference, um, wasn't ideal but it worked under the circumstances. And there is a sense among MPs that although we're very keen to get back to normal working at Westminster, um, now isn't the
0: time. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie?
1: Let's have a look at some of these other stories. Roger, where are we starting?
2: Well, we're starting with Huawei. Remember that? It's all about revisiting old battles, isn't it? Well, the government's launching a review into Huawei. Officials are drawing up a plan to reduce the Chinese tech giant's involvement in new generation mobile networks over the next three years. The British moves follow an announcement from the Trump administration this month of fresh U.S. curbs on China's largest technology company. The U.K. now needs to look again at the potential impact that the fresh U.S. sanctions against Huawei could have on British networks that's what officials are saying and the review will be conducted by the government's National Cyber Security Centre
1: All of this whilst, of course, tried to strike a US trade deal uh, with the UK as well. So there are other factors at play we must always remember. Now, turning to the coronavirus, there's been a dramatic shift in the public perception of care workers as a result of the crisis. According to a survey by the Fawcett Society, most Britons believe care workers should be better paid and better valued. The poll found 65% of respondents supported an increase in income tax to fund a pay rise for care workers, a figure that rose to 68% among conservative workers uh, voters rather Uh, almost half of respondents also said the government hadn't sufficiently prioritized care homes at the beginning of the pandemic so it'll be very interesting to see whether the government does follow up on this sort of of belief of this sort of rhetoric after this is all over
2: And volunteering, 10 million British adults have been volunteering in their community during the coronavirus crisis, that's according to new research. The study from Legal and General, the Centre for Economics and Business Research, found one in five UK adults has volunteered their time for community activities since the start of the lockdown. The work of UK volunteers is estimated to have an equivalent economic value of more than £350 million a week.
1: I have to laugh at that figure coming up out of context. (laughs) Well, anyway let's get back to the man behind that figure Dominic Cummings has he done enough to save his job limit the damage to the government's lockdown guidance as well Uh, the rule tends to be that if a political scandal is making waves a week after it first appears then someone has to go we're now uh, a few days in on that reckoning the next 72 hours are going to be critical. So, joining us now to dig into all of this, Tim Bale, professor of politics at Queen Mary University of London and co-director of the Mile End Institute. Tim, great to have you. Uh, so, first off, your reaction to this: Is Dominic Cummings going to hold on to his job, whether he resigns or is sacked? I don't know what what you think is going to play out here.
3: Well, it's difficult to imagine him voluntarily resigning. Uh, It might end up in him being forced to resign, as it were, um, or Boris Johnson sacking him because he made it very clear uh, yesterday he hadn't even uh, thought about doing it. Um, To be honest, uh, I oscillate on this one. There have been times over this bank holiday weekend when I thought he's got to go because the uh, feeling, I think, among... Uh, Conservative Party MP's constituents is so strong and some of the the polling doesn't look that good. Um, But I've also thought, you know, the Prime Minister seems so determined to hang on to him come what may that I wonder whether anything can (laughs) persuade Boris Johnson that he has to let him go.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because some people have suggested, uh, perhaps rather unkindly, that without uh, Dominic Cummings, uh, Boris Johnson is, an, and I quote someone, an empty coat. Uh, that, that essentially, he's the the puller of the strings. I don't know what analogy you want to use. But if that is all possibly true, I mean, this could be a very significant moment way outside the kind of Westminster bubble.
3: Yes. I mean, I I think um, not only uh, for its implications for Boris Johnson's government and indeed some would say accountability, political accountability in this country, uh, but uh, for uh, the fact that, as you say, it goes way beyond, I think, the normal, quote, unquote beltway story that so many journalists uh, and indeed political nerds like myself get interested in. It really does seem to have, to use that cliche, cut through to people. Uh, and, And talking to people, you know, who really don't normally take an interest in this, you know, it has registered on their radar. And one thing I would say is that I think conventional wisdom is somehow that governments, you know, can ride out an issue early on in their terms, you know, he has four or five years to go, and therefore, you know, even if this turns out very bad for him, it won't make much of a difference. But actually the research often, um, tends to indicate that often something, you know, really, really significant that affects public perceptions of governments early on in their term then sets a narrative that it's very, very difficult for governments to, to change. And Black Wednesday in 1992 is, I think, the you know, the, the prime example of that.
1: How do you think we could see the Johnson administration change if he does go? He's clearly a very potent force, uh, but there are other figures as well. You've got the whole City Crew, City Hall crew, for example. Uh, would policy be pushed in a dramatically different direction if he, if he well, no longer was part of the project?
3: Well, that is a very interesting point. I mean, I don't think any government um, is reliant on one person. And I would say that even of a prime minister, uh, let alone a prime ministerial advisor, you have other people in there you um, know, Merza, for example, who's the head of policy, who are you know perfectly capable of putting together a government program. And you have uh, uh, other people in there, Eddie lister for example, who are perfectly capable of, you know, organising things um, to ensure that at least from the number ten perspective, um, it can be executed. Uh, I think the problem uh, for Boris Johnson is that he's not generally someone who thinks, uh, other than you know, winning the Conservative Party leadership and becoming Prime Minister, particularly strategically. And what Dominic Cummings gave him was that kind of strategic uh, vision, um, you know, the ability to see one or two or three moves ahead in the political game. And I think he would miss that.
2: Um, about stretching it maybe too far, is it possible that if he was weakened, even if not removed, that could alter, the of course, the subject that brought him to where he is now, which is is Brexit. And there's issue about extending the interim period, which, which seems to have been hung on to in the teeth of quite a lot of concern, even from Brexiteers.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that uh, the refusal to extend transition um, is solely down to Dominic Cummings. I mean, I think there are a lot of true believers um, around the cabinet table even who think that an extension uh, is either pointless or counterproductive in the sense that they think that uh, it may be better to hide some of the downsides of Brexit under uh, the very obvious downsides of the coronavirus crisis. And, and in some ways, it would be better just to leave at the end of the year, whether we have a deal uh, or not. Um, but you may be right. I mean, it, you know, clearly that is a very, very big call for the prime minister to make. And Dominic Cummings may be one of those people who, to some extent, are holding into that when perhaps, you know, other parts of Boris Johnson's instincts... Um, would lead them to, to play a bit uh, a bit more cautiously.
1: and what about labour and all of this they 've been relatively quiet or careful, I should say. Uh, they weren't immediately calling for mm. a resignation mm. what's their strategy?
3: Well, I think it comes back to that old adage, you know, don't interrupt an enemy while he's making a mistake, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I think they can rely on um, certainly the media and it would seem social media and the public and indeed some Conservative MPs to do, you know, a lot of the, the damage that the opposition might well want to do itself. Uh, I think, you know, Keir Starmer has probably played it very wisely, as well as you say, carefully. Um you know, he doesn't want to be seen to be calling for something that he can't actually um, pull off. Um, but you may find that as it becomes, you know, more and more possible that Dominic Cummings, you know, will have to go, that the the rhetoric from Labour becomes a, a little bit stronger. Um, It's very interesting, I think, that one Conservative minister has resigned today, uh, albeit, you know, it will be a minister that very few people have heard of, and he's a junior minister, he's from Scotland, but one wonders if that is, you know, the beginning of something, um, because dams don't burst, (laughs) Um, you know, out of nowhere, small cracks appear, and that could be, you know, one of those small cracks.
2: Well, that's what I was going to ask you because I mean, we, we have had a Tory party that, despite the the difficult birth of the of the current government, it was obviously very difficult and divisive, has been very solid in terms of its support for for Boris Johnson and 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 what's mm-hmm. had come. Not least, of course, the MPs who got in in the north in the the, the old Labour War Red Wall area. Are we now beginning to see that? Um, to use your analogy, the the dam wall there begin to crack.
3: Well, I mean, I think it's entirely possible. And I would take you back um, to the poll tax in the late uh, 1980s. Um, There we had an example where Conservative MPs, um, uh, mail trays, they didn't have inboxes then, were filling up with letters from angry constituents. Uh, The polling looked really terrible on the poll tax as well. Um, and they simply weren't listened to uh, until it was too late for Margaret Thatcher. And remember, this was a prime minister who'd won massive majorities, who'd won you know three elections in a row, and you know wanted to go on and on. And many people you know, I think misleadingly remember Margaret Thatcher as having to go over Europe when in fact what she had to go for um was the fact that she wouldn't listen to her MPs on the poll tax and, and uh you know the, the survey research suggested that the Conservative Party was going to lose the next election. So I, I I think you know Boris Johnson should take a lesson um, from that. And I think if Conservative MPs, you know, are are looking at their emails and finding there is an awful lot of anger there if you know, polling, more of which will come out today, shows the Conservative Party is in trouble over this. You know, he is probably going to have to cut the rope, whether he likes it or not.
1: So, so very briefly, then, what does Boris Johnson do next, other than that? I mean, it, it's been a long time now, a few days. He's got to, he's got to patch this up, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, he, he, he just has to make a decision, I think, um, you know, and the decision is between actually trying to stem the bleeding on this. And I think the Conservative Party is bleeding over this. We'll see the, the opinion polls later today. Uh, or just decide that, you know, he's going to take that hit and hope that he can you know, somehow make up for it in the future with a, a recovery from this coronavirus crisis. But I think he is in quite a serious uh, hole here.
2: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar, and premier sponsor QB. Join heads of state. Influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at Qatar Economic forum.com.